I'm Dr. Jay Anders, and this is Tell Me Where It Hurts, where we discuss some of the big challenges in health IT and how we can solve them so clinicians can do what they do best, care for patients. I'd like to welcome everyone to another episode of Tell Me Where It Hurts. Today's guest has an extensive history in healthcare IT, especially in the child health part of healthcare IT. It reminded me a little bit when I was reading his background as to why I got into this business and why other people ask me, how do I get my job that I have, which is kind of interesting. And I get asked that quite a bit. So I started thinking about an answer. I've thought about it before, but it's like, it's very interesting that when you're in this kind of, of business, you have opportunities that being a practicing physician just doesn't give you. And what I mean by that is in my practice lifetime, I would see between six and 7,000 patient visits a year, which is a lot. Um, I did hospital work. Um, I did intensive care unit work. So I saw a lot of people, at least I thought it was a lot of people when I was doing it. And I affected each and every one of those folks' lives and their families and hopefully in a positive way. So when I started down this path, which has now been 15 years ago, long time now, people ask me, well, why'd you do it? You had a successful practice, you were head of a clinic. Uh, yeah, why, why'd you jump ship and go to the dark side, as they say? And I, here's the answer I usually give them. I said, well, I was a practicing physician. It was, I would affect maybe six, 7,000 people a year, try to help them in this job, I can help hundreds of thousands of patients if we do our jobs right. So it gives me great satisfaction when I see things like our guest has done with what, what we have provided and how important that is moving forward and actually giving back uh, to providers something that they can use and be useful as opposed to being a task or hard to use, which is one of the biggest complaints we have these days about health IT, especially EMRs. And I'm not gonna single out any of them, but nobody really likes what they do. And I think there's two reasons for that. Number one, they were designed for transactional things, meaning presenting a bill and supporting that bill for whatever reason. Um, they also were designed not to give anything back and that's what makes today's guest really interesting and great to talk with. So our guest today is David Higginson. He has been in healthcare IT, especially children's healthcare for 25 years. In 2011, he was the chief information officer at Phoenix Children's Hospital, where he oversaw the information technology strategy, project execution, system design, technology infrastructure, basically everything health IT at uh, Phoenix Children's. Before transitioning to his role now as Chief Innovation Officer, which he did in 2020, um, now he's responsible for pretty much all of the operation. He was Operating Officer in 2018, but he was also now responsible for nursing, operations, information technology, supply chain, process optimization, which he's done an absolutely fabulous job, by the way, and marketing. Um, he has successfully launched several of his own healthcare IT initiatives with his own healthcare software company and has several patents and successful projects. And one of the things that makes David unique is he's constantly thinking on how we can make it better, not just maintain it for the masses. So 
to that end, he uh, won the Kime Innovator of the Year and was awarded Arizona's Top Tech CIO of the Year in 2017. And he's been recognized as having the top IT department at Phoenix Children's Hospital in best healthcare IT department in the US. So he's done quite a bit to enhance the, the projects and processes that, that we've all talked about. So one of the little tidbits that I saw on when he started, gave me all this information to talk about, and I've known David for a while, was something I really didn't know. Uh, he did systems work for MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and the Royal Mail, which I found fascinating. Uh, but we won't talk about the Royal Mail today. <laughs> so I'd like to welcome David to our podcast, and we can get started. David, welcome. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, you're the Executive Vice President and the Chief Innovation Officer at Phoenix. I'd like to know a little bit about how you got into this particular avenue of business being finance-based to begin with and then IT-based. So how did you get started with this? A uh, total accident, to be honest with you. So I started out, as you mentioned, in London, working the City of London for the Royal Mail. Um, I'm an accountant, a CPA by trade. I'd actually always dabbled in computers. My uncle was a researcher at Procter & Gamble and gave me an old Commodore PET, uh, which was the pre-runner of the Commodore 64 back when I was 11. And I always just tinkered around. I never played games. I just would learn how to program. But back then, if you remember, there was no careers in, in technology. So I just always did it on the side. But I then uh, married an American. Uh, we moved to Boston and worked at MIT. and kind of married, that was the first time I was able to marry my accounting experience doing their books with, I realized they needed a computer. In fact, MIT at that time had no technology running any of their books whatsoever. They did it all on paper. And so I just saw a need, figured, did some dabbling and started working in computing. And then we worked, moved to Arkansas to be close to my wife's family. And, you know, not as much opportunity in Arkansas as there is in, in Boston, Massachusetts, but I fell into a position at Arkansas Children's Hospital just by chance, doing finance again, doing their research accounting, and the exact same thing again. I just saw what they were doing on paper, and you know, I was convinced it was a better way of doing it. And then slowly, over the next five years, just transitioned more and more to doing computer work, and eventually just gave up the accounting and the administration altogether. And like you mentioned, came over to the dark side and dedicated you know, to being a programmer and just trying to solve problems. In fact, I'm completely self-taught in IT. I have no training whatsoever in it. And uh, I think that's always been a positive for myself because I can talk to the business people and talk to the clinicians in a way that's not overly techie. I really don't care about technology per se. I'm not interested in the data center, what I'm interested in and what I can do with it. Um, and so that's what I've really tried to focus my career on is whatever industry I've been in is, is uh, how can I make it better using technology, not just technology for that sake. And I'll give you one little fact that you may not know is I actually am very uh, faint hearted. So whenever I, I can't actually go into a patient room most of the time, because I'll pass out um, if, with a side of blood. So it's taken me a long time to be able to actually enter a patient's room. But uh, so healthcare is kind of the last thing I probably should be working in. But it is so varied. One of the last things I'll tell you is, especially the children's hospital, it's a full ecosystem of businesses. It's not just healthcare. There's a, we have a school, we have a security department, a cafeteria, and lots and lots of mini businesses all operating inside the hospital. And so it's a, 
it's a playground for process improvement. You know, there isn't a single thing that you can't have a crack at. Uh, it's not just one business. So it's just been a fascinating journey and, and I'm still learning every single day. Well, I, that's a really interesting, um, by accident, it sounds like it was almost destiny more than accident, but I, that's a great entry into what I'd like to ask you next, which is when you first got into healthcare IT, we, this industry is, as you know, fraught with issues um, and they keep coming. Things don't seem to move very quickly, um, especially when it comes to governmental stuff and things like that. But what was it when you were first starting into this that, that was your biggest trouble, your biggest passion, your biggest goal as to what you really wanted to do? So what was the problem and what was the focus? I think overall, you know, my sense is that people should be doing the best possible thing with their time. And so when I see accountants hand entering data from an Excel spreadsheet into a system or hand doctors hand entering, you know, written notes into a system or whatever the process is where the person themselves is not making the best use of their intellectual power, that just frustrates me. Um, you know, people shouldn't be a slave to the machine. And, and every time I see that, it's like, you know, there's gotta be a way I can make one little step of this better. And, and have people really kind of working top of license, if you like. And that's what, in healthcare at least, that's something I've really strive for is let the humans do the things that only humans can do and don't let them, you know, just satisfy what the computer or a programmer made them want to do. And so that's really been, you know, the, the, the kind of center of my focus on this work. But I'm also just a very curious person. And so when I, you know, and I think I'm an analyst at heart. And so when I see something, I like to break down that problem and then just go after whatever piece of it I can. Um, and oftentimes people don't understand me at first. I'm probably maybe just like you, I have an idea. It's very hard for me to explain what my mind's thinking and it takes me a long time. And I've learned I have to be persistent in explaining it because often the first two or, first, two or three times, you know, people don't know what I'm talking about and look at me like I'm completely crazy. But uh, luckily my partner at Phoenix, Dr. Vinay Vaidya, we kind of both are on the same wavelength. So at least I have a colleague there who can, somewhat understand what I'm thinking. So, um, but yes, I, it's, it's all about just trying to make those little things better. That's, that's what I try and do. So when you think about your 25 years in the healthcare IT business, obviously there were issues that were there when you first started. What issues do you see are still present after that length of time? Yeah, I, I think you mentioned it a little earlier and it's something that's very important to me is I think we are still very much focused on the task of entering in information and we many places i think we're starting to turn the corner but many places have lost sight of what the value proposition was of an emr for example it wasn't just a better way to do bookkeeping it, it shouldn't be a way just to type more things in so we have it instead of on paper it's now electronic so it's easier to file a bill or all those things there should be some payback. If you're taking time and effort out of your day as a physician or a nurse to type something into a computer, it should be one and one is three. It shouldn't be one and one is one and a half. You know, you should get something back out of that process that you never would have got before. Otherwise, what's the point? You know, you might, you could spend your time much better doing other things. And so that's the frustrating thing with me is I see so many systems still focused on data keying and just doing bookkeeping. The real value, I think, where we really leverage what a computer can do is where it does a lot of work for us or it makes new discoveries we couldn't possibly have done ourselves. And that's the bit that excites me. And I think where we've, in the last three years, probably in our journey at Phoenix Children's, we've really got to where extracting that additional value is 
80% of what we focus on IT. Whereas, you know, back in 2010 or around that time of meaningful use, everyone was just trying to get the system in and get people typing stuff in. And there was a promise of a future benefit, but at the time we got kind of lost on typing everything in. And I think those older EMRs that you've mentioned, which are still, you know, mainly built in the 70s and the 80s and maybe even the 90s, are still very much tied down to that that era when there wasn't very good user interface. And they're so slow to change and it's so slow to implement them that, um, again, we're still very focused on clunky data entry systems, which is a shame. I fully agree with that. Um, it's interesting. You know, when I went to medical school, I didn't go to medical school to write a note or put in data in a machine. I went to medical school to treat patients. So it's it's interesting now that that paradigm is still there and we're still fighting with the fact that it doesn't give anything back or really doesn't help us do what we have to do as as a clinician. So I fully agree with we we got to work on those issues about making it a tool, not a task. Um, now, Phoenix Children's and Medicomp has been together now for several years. It's it's amazing now. I thought, my gosh, it's been that long. So I'm a little curious what your with our relationship, what first drew you to Quip and Medicomp and, and what we do to help the system that you already had? Yeah, it was uh, somewhat of a, a strange path, really. We just decided to implement one EMR across all of our businesses. And so we'd had a you know the big traditional bake-off between Cerner Epic and Allscripts at the time. Uh, we were already in Allscripts shop. We've selected all scripts to move forward and we were getting ready to roll out the ambulatory EMR for the very first time. It was all paper. And this is about 2011. And, you know, and we really took a long, hard look at the documentation systems in not just all scripts, but Epic and Cern at the time. And, you know, when we were thinking about the outpatient space where the number one job was to make that clinic note be really quick and effective and useful, we just look at those traditional systems and they, it just didn't seem like they were going to cut it. it. It just didn't seem like we were ever going to get to the point where you get something more out of the system than you put into it. It was just a clunky documentation system. And I can remember my colleague said to me, why would I ever move off, off um, dictation? You know, and then what people have done is they're like, oh, well, let's use Dragon or Nuance. And really all we've done is we've made electronic different type of dictation, right? So we're just using Dragon and Nuance to put it into one big text box. And we said, that's not good enough either. And so we... We started just like thinking about that concept. We were at HIMSS one time walking around the show and myself and Dr. Vidya saw Medicomp, we'd never heard of the company and really stopped and looked at that booth that you had. And it struck us, it took us about 24 hours to really let it sink in. But you know what, there was a better way to do documentation. And this idea of a single unified set of terms, which would kind of cross all documents, that really struck us. And we really... You know, when you understand that when you have a smoking checkbox on one documentation and a smoking checkbox on another one and they don't talk to each other, that makes no sense at all. And so what we saw is that the Medicomp product had fundamentally solved that. Uh, we saw a modern interface too, which could be a lot more minimalistic and, and compressed, but I think it was really that standard data architecture that drew it to us. But I'll never forget when we were presenting this to our IT governance committee, including the CEO, you know, Vinay and I looked at each other and said, you know, we're actually proposing to replace the core part of the EMR we just bought with a different person's product. Who takes the documentation system from an EMR and does something different right when they've just selected it? They're going to think we're absolutely crazy. 
Um, but fortunately, our CEO is very, very forward-looking, understood the, you know, what we were talking about, why we were doing it, and we got the full support of the organization. And frankly, from there, never looked back. We did work very hard to make the product fully integrated into the EMR so that honestly, you know, the physician would not know that we weren't using all scripts documentation solution. So it's not like they pop out into a different system. It's all completely integrated. It looks like it's part of the product, but it was a little scary at the time, but I think we were so drawn to this idea that this unified data set didn't matter who filled in the note, what, what disease state, it was all going to coalesce down to the same, you know, 500,000 terms. It made, it made sense to us. You know, given that dictation comment, um, which of course that's, how I grew up was dictating notes or handwriting notes, mostly dictating. There's all the industry buzz right now with natural language processing and machine learning and all of that, as opposed to using templates or even dynamic templates. I'd like your opinion on that. What, where do you think that part of the world in IT is going? And when do you think it'll actually be successful? Yeah, I've, I've talked about this a lot. I think it's all about self-driving cars. So I, I, um, I do think, you know, the next fundamental, you know, EMRs tend to go through a, a 10 to 15 year cycle is my observation. It was Meditech to begin with, then it was Cerner, then it was Epic, and then it's going to be something else at some point. And that's always we go through these cycles. But to me, the next major iteration for EMRs has to be about the input process, right? Um, the, the data processing side is going to happen by itself. That's after the fact that can be done later. But the real problem today is we are chained to a keyboard and a mouse, which at this point is 40-year-old technology. And in many of our consumer lives, we're moving much more to a voice-driven, a smart voice-driven um, way of doing things. But it's still fairly simplistic because obviously understanding a natural flow of an exam visit is really hard to tease out those details. Um, but when you see people with scribes, when I, what I think about a scribe is that's somebody listening in with some medical knowledge, listening to what the doctor's saying in real time or the patient, and then transcribing it into the right boxes. What we need is an automated scribe. If we can get to automated scribes and microphones in the room, so it's listening, that I think is the next, next big change that will fundamentally change the input methodology. Once we can get there, I think that is definitely the way to go. Then just like you mentioned, Jay, you can carry on doing medicine the way that you were, it's very natural to you. You walk into a room, you talk to a patient, maybe you have to give it some cues in terms of telling it's an order or a prescription, but fundamentally you should be able to have that conversation and the recording, the data entry should just happen in the background. Maybe a little oversight at the end, just to make sure everything's right. But really, again, like a self-driving car, you don't wanna have your hands on the wheels all the time you know, looking around, you just want to be able to sit there and, and let the car do its thing. And that's what you should be able to do is sit there, have your conversation with the patient, verbalize what you found, what you understood and have the recording and the actions happen automatically. So when do I think that's going to happen? A little like self-driving cars. I, you know, someone told me two years ago it was happening this year. I think it's going to be at least five to 10 years, but I do think it's the next revolution. And I think that will drive the next iteration of EMRs, um, and who knows what we'll be like in 10 years. I think all these screens we've had for years and all these mouse-driven things will slowly start to evaporate. The one other comment I'd make on that is, you know, EMR is to me a little bit like a Windows operating system. There are 15 to 20 years of development in some of those systems. You don't just make a new one overnight that completely changes the industry. And I think that's why we've seen 
even things like Athena Health, which is probably one of the most modern EMRs, it just hasn't matured yet into an acute hospital setting. Um, and so it is really, really expensive and time consuming and slow to, to build an EMR that is all inclusive, like an Epic, Cerner, all scripts, because it just takes a long, long time and a lot of investment. So it's going to take us a while to get there. But I think voice is definitely the future. I'm convinced of it. I, I agree with you. I think um, voice speaking to certain vocabularies might fine tune that just a little bit, as opposed to listening to every word I say, which may not be relevant to a conversation with a patient, but I, I think it's going to happen. I, I've been told now since back in the, the days when Dragon first started, oh, give us three years. It's like a three-year promise, and then another three years, and then another three years, and then pretty soon, okay, we're just going to have to sit and wait and see kind of what happens here. Yeah, I think what I think there's a couple of things that have changed recently. I think the very big tech players are now experts in voice recognition. I think you're seeing a move, for example, Microsoft buying Nuance um, being a very interesting development is Microsoft's got a significant amount of horsepower and technology to bring to bear on that market. And so I, you know, again, we can all look at the crystal ball, but I think that the big players are still extremely interested in this market. And I think if, you know, Amazon, Microsoft, Google doesn't end up being the future of this, I will be surprised because I think they do have the horsepower to bring to the very complicated technology challenge. They may not have the healthcare knowledge, but they definitely have the technology challenge they can overcome with voice. So I, I'm, I'm, again, maybe mistaken, but still quite confident those players are very interested, and especially when you talk about an Amazon who is has lots and lots of downstream impacts around pharmacy and uh, you know other products that they sell. This seems like it would fit quite well to them. I certainly agree. They do have the horsepower to make it happen if it can happen, which I think it will. I, it's just a matter of time, money, effort, and focus. Yeah. So when you implemented our system, you, you did you got some very interesting results quickly, which was fascinating. Um, so I'd like you to, to describe for our listeners, what was that process like? So as you went through and you started to integrate this new documentation system within all scripts, what was your plan? How did it roll out? Uh, what were some of the pitfalls? What were some of the successes? Mostly it was successes from what I've what I've been a part of. So I'd like you to tell that story just a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, we had to roll out the EMR like any other traditional EMR rollout. We did it with just six people, um, not the army of 50 or 60 analysts that the other EMRs had done on. And um, so a much smaller role. But what we realized is, like I mentioned before, the documentation template is likely the most important part of the process. If you're convincing physicians to go from paper to electronic, um, we re realized that the rest of the EMR, it was pretty much the same across all the different vendors. You know, entering orders is entering orders for the most part. Nobody likes yeah. it particularly, but it's just one of those things you have to get used to. So we didn't focus so much on that part of the process. We really decided the templates had to be the kind of the shining star that led people, you know, to, to really adopt and thrive in the EMR. We also realized, honestly, that different physicians in different divisions would adopt it differently. We wouldn't get success from everybody. And so we looked very early on for those kind of leading edge people, the kind of early adopters that would really take the product and really make use of it. And we wouldn't have any preconceived notions where those people were. But Vinay and I 
kind of work on this adoption curve is you get you know 25% right away you get the big bulbous of people a lot later on then you've always got the laggards who never come along so we look for our early adopters um, who are ready and willing to really not just like take their paper document and convert it to an electronic version which is what how most people approach this but people are really willing to change their practice right off the bat because that's what we thought we would demonstrate value and if we could have one or two shining examples we knew that the masses would kind of glom onto that so we we took about maybe a year and a half to build all the templates out in our 70 different uh, specialties but probably half of those we didn't put a whole lot of effort into just we just converted what they had on paper for the most part with whatever changes they suggested but there was a handful where they really wanted to partner. And so we work with them very quickly to say, here's a, an iteration of the documentation, but most importantly, this is what you're gonna do with it once you've entered it. So let's show you what the promise is. The promise is we've got all this new data that we can now show you. So when you go to treat your patients, you can start to treat them in a different way. And I think, you know, Jay in rheumatology was ended up being our shining star and, and the division chief and a couple of his colleagues there immediately understood what the potential was. So we built an initial debt template, just copied their paper, they used it, and then quickly showed them what we thought, hey, make this change and this is what you'll get out of it. This is the data reporting we can do out of this, and this is how it's gonna change your practice. And so our CMIO started this process of meeting with that group every Friday afternoon to review everything they'd done that week, and literally in real time, revise the documentation to produce better data. And very quickly, we transition to a model with them where they start the day at seven in the morning, they use our Power BI dashboards, which is all data coming primarily from Quip and the EMR, and they plan their day with all the patients coming in. And they go so far as to say, you know what, this patient we can all see is very well managed over time because of all the chronological data we've collected. Let's have an NP or a PA meet with that patient because we think they're managed, they need some maintenance, they need their meds reviewed, but we don't need to have our division chief, for example, meet with that patient. Let's find the hardest patient or the patient that's least well-managed and we'll focus on that one. And so that's the transition that's happened with that group. And that then spread to other areas where the documentation was less about building a note to fax to someone. It was about collecting a longitudinal record so we could really analyze and provide care coordination for that patient population. And that's the paradigm shift for us now. We've really let the documentation drive care coordination. So it's not just every episodic visit, it's everything that happens along the way. And we've moved one step further, which is now to do two things. So we have what we call patient-facing quip, which is where the patients are actually doing documentation at home on their mobile phone using a version of quip, which feeds back in. So we have, you know, every week, every day, every month, that patient is providing more input while they're not being treated at the hospital that feeds the, the data monster, if you like. So what that kind of transition from let's just take our paper forms and make them electronic to let's take our, our form and actually make it do something for us in terms of helping us treat that patient population. That's the journey we went on. We, it took us about a year for rheumatology. And then we have about 60 different divisions that have all joined that, that journey. They're all at different levels of maturation, but um, that is the, that's the big payoff for us. That's what we, that we always wanted. How are the providers what's the feedback from them regarding this giving back basically is what I talked about. Let the EMR give you something to actually help you do your work every day with your patients. How's that been received from them? I'd appreciate hearing from some of the comments they made. 
Yeah, and, and just like I mentioned before, you've always got your early adopters, you've got the kind of the mass of people that come and then the people never go. But for the for the people in the middle, really not even the early adopters, they all got it. I mean, they, I think as being a fairly large hospital, it's got kind of a, a bit of an academic and a quality focus. They really understand that you can, like you said, you can treat patients all day long, but you never move the needle in terms of providing care for those patients unless you make a new discovery, improve your quality, or really change the paradigm of that care. And what I think they've realized is if you just document what you did all day long as a regular documentation, you're not going to change the fundamental way you treat the patient population. If you use data, you can make significant shifts in how you manage that population. And for us in Phoenix, lots of that translates to just being able to treat more patients. We cannot keep up with the growth in Phoenix. You may know, I mean, it, it, we've had 10% year over year growth for 15 years. There are not enough doctors and nurses for us to hire to take care of all the kids. 1.5 million children in the Phoenix metro area. The only way to really keep up with that growth is to practice in a more efficient and effective way and not just write a note and keep writing notes. And so I think the doctor, what the doctor's feedback is, is this tool and these set of tools have allowed them to really fundamental change the way they do their work. Uh, the ones that are still just treating it as a way to document and have one big text box, th there is no change, right? Because we're just doing what we always did. But it's really those people and there's lots of comments about, you know, the fact that they can now effectively manage twice the population. And not only that, but get a better outcome and be much more aware of where all the patients are. And I think the final comment to that is we've had several physicians who through that journey have looked at their data so much that they've actually realized new things that they didn't know before. They've understood how medication works better over time, or they've understood to, to intervene earlier with the treatment plan because they've seen that longitudinal benefit. So that's where I think to me, the exciting innovative changes are happening in the way we, we take care of patients. I've had the privilege of, of seeing a lot of your dashboards and and what they're doing and how they track patients. And I would have given my left arm in practice of had anything like that back in the old days. I'll say that because I am getting that way. Um, so it, it is amazing to me that you can actually, and everybody I think in healthcare IT that knew anything at all understood this, you can actually impact patients with good data. You can actually intervene more quickly. You can make them better you can keep them from getting sick, all those things by just having really good data and presented in such a way that it's absorbable at the point of care, which you can actually yes. do something about it. Yep. So I, I'm, I'm just fascinated. It's a great story. I, it's amazing what you guys have done in that regard. It's, it's really fun to see. And I think once we start giving things back to the docs and the, all the clinical providers, something that they feel is valuable we won't have the burnout the uh, resistance to innovation and systems once they see something coming back that actually makes my day easier and my patients better which really is the whole story there now i know there's going to be a lot of other cios and executives of hospital systems that are may or may not listen to this but they probably some of them will they may be somewhat frustrated as you were with what you found with documentation. And maybe they want to try something that you have, uh, adding something onto their system, uh, trying to make it better without ripping and replacing it. 
So what would you say to them in terms of what you've learned and the challenges and was it worth it? So I've thought a lot about this because I talked to a lot of my colleagues at the other children's hospitals and, you know, every hospital is at a different point in its journey. And I think the time at which the organization is ready for innovation and ready to do something different is different for every organization. Phoenix Children's, when I came in 2010, was, was primed for innovation, primed for growth knew that it couldn't just do the same old thing and, and, and achieve its mission. And so I think the first and foremost is you have to be able to read your organization and know whether you're at a point at which innovation and uh, you know doing something different is something that you're ready for. Because honestly, if you just want to buy the mainstream EMR and implement it as is, and that's where you're, you know, you're at for whatever reason, don't I would say don't try anything different at that point. You have to be ready. Your organization has to be ready for change and you have to have a platform, you know, a burning platform to move it forward because it is hard and it is scary. And, you know, like so many people once told me is you don't get fired for buying IBM. Uh, and some people are in that mode. Um, we're not in that mode all the time, but there are some organizations that's where they need to be. And so you have to really read your organization, know if it's ready, but if it is ready, you know, there is so much to be gained. You don't, it, it's not risky, it's exciting. You know, there is an opportunity to leapfrog your organization. Phoenix Children's is only 30 years old. As children's hospitals goes, it's the youngest out there. We don't have Boston Children's 100 years of research. So if we want to leapfrog into the big time with those kind of guys is we can't do it the traditional way. And so I think innovation is something your organization has to be ready for, but you can make huge advances very, very quickly and you can quickly become a shining light for everybody else. But I think you have to have the right people that are willing to do it. And your organization has to be primed and ready. But I'm a bit of a risk taker, as is my colleague, Dr. Baidia. You have to be ready to do that, but it's in a controlled way. You know, we don't want to put, you have to understand what the payoff is and you have to keep your eye. The last thing I would say is there are many fires to fight every day. There are many people who always complain about the EMR. It doesn't matter what EMR you're on. Someone says the next one over the, you know, the other vendor is always better. You somewhat have to, you have to listen to that, but you also have to keep driving forward with your vision because some of these visions take a couple of years to get to. And if you're constantly fighting the fires, you'll never get there. So my advice is if you've got that vision, if you've got that passion and appetite is at least give yourself three years to get there, right? But I promise you with really using data in an effective way, you will make a significant difference than just typing things in is never going to get you there. So, you know, I think know your organization, understand your strengths and weaknesses and who your real drivers are and, and then go for it. Don't look back. Don't, don't second gauge yourself. Just go for it. What do you see as some of the challenges ahead for Phoenix Children's and, and your journey? Um, well, I, I don't, I think opportunities more than anything else is our, our growth, <laughs> our growth drives us. Um, so I think we've got two major things. That we're, so we're growing rapidly. We're opening up three new hospitals in the next two years, which is, as, you know, our organization will grow by a quarter in probably two or three years time. And we still are not keeping up with the demand. We're probably only seeing two thirds of the demand. So just for us, keeping going and, and treating the patients we need to see is very hard. The other thing that is the major opportunity for us is really focusing on patients. And this has been something that's also happened the last three years, and I can't overemphasize it. We have moved on from building systems for clinicians. That's already happened. We've already got the systems in place to support clinicians. What we don't have is the systems to really support the patients. And that started off with simple things like 
being able to book online any specialty, not just the general pediatric clinic, but book any specialty in real time from your phone, which was a pretty do telehealth. But now also, how do I bring the patient into their into the kind of ecosystem of healthcare as an equal partner? Because if you think in the past, as a patient, I could read a document, you know, I maybe got a prescription, but I didn't get, I wasn't part of that electronic ecosystem that everyone else was part of. So how do I bring them in as an equal player? And how do I swing that pendulum from being very focused on what the clinicians want and spending all my time there to swinging that back and saying, okay, how do I serve the patients first, right? How do I get them what they need? How do I think about them as an equal partner? And really, honestly, in my opinion, redress the balance where, as hospital systems were being so focused on the people that work there every day and changing their lives with technology, I think some places have lost track of their customers. And if you look at the rest of the industry, you have to provide an electronic experience for your customers. Now, every other industry out there with a pandemic, that's really accelerated that. And so I am hyper-focused on, on bringing our patients and our customers into the journey with us, because I think so far, they've not been playing on an equal field. And one of those things, for example, is letting them document parts of their care or providers information in a seamless electronic way that's not then just printed out and given to the doctor who never reads it. I think, Jay, you've probably seen those eight-page clinic intake forms that the patient spends hours typing and then no one looks at it. We, we've revolutionized our clinic intake, so it's only the things that appear in the doctor's note. Why am I asking a patient for something that the doctor doesn't even want in their note, right? So. That's where I'm most excited about is really, and for me as an inventor, I've not had that space of the patients to look at before, right? So I've got a whole new area to go to think about, whereas honestly, inside the hospital, electronic EMRs, they're kind of a bit stagnant at the moment, right? We're waiting for that next revolution. So this is the piece I'm really excited about. That's a great goal. And I've, I've said this a lot in many forums. We've got to focus on patients and patient care. It's about the patient. It's really not about the doctor. The doctor has to do it, but the patient is what you're trying to make better and inform and educate and treat. Uh, so they've got to be a, a part of that conversation. I fully agree. I asked a question of all my guests, and I'm very curious about your answer for this. If you had a magic wand and you could wave it and change anything in health IT, what would it be? I think what I would do is somehow stop the focus on the technology itself. I would say 75% of the people that work in healthcare IT or are attracted to it are so interested in the technology for technology's sake, and they lose track of it's all about the outcome. So if I could wave, wave a magic wand, I would educate every new IT person coming out of school. It's not about the programming language. It's not about the vendor name on the disk drive. It is about what you're gonna do with that technology. And if you don't do anything with it, it's all for nothing. I often tell my programming team, it's great you spent six months on this and you think it's the most elegant code in the world. It makes no difference if somebody isn't going to use it. And so that's the magic wand in healthcare IT is like hyper-focused on the outcome for non-technical users and stop worrying about the vendor or keeping up with the Joneses on which, you know, which new laptop or which new disk drive or anything that, that I think is a detriment. And it actually keeps us out of being relevant to the rest of the organization, because we're often put in the box of these technical geeks that can just speak a different language. We have to speak the language of the organization that we serve. What a fabulous answer. I knew you'd have a good one. And that is a very, very good one. 
if someone wants to get a hold of you and talk more about what you did, how can they do that? Well, you can LinkedIn message me. I'm on there. I don't, don't use social media a lot. I try to stay away from it, but you can LinkedIn message me or you can just email me at the hospital. That's absolutely the best way so that you can look up online what my email is, but I have to do that. Um, and then if, you know, there are specific things, we often have people come to our organization, Jay. We have, you know, probably people once a month coming from different hospitals or different vendors to see what we've done with Medicomp and our data lake. So we're, we're more than flattered to do that. And what we'd love to do in those situations is learn from someone else. So um, there is always something, I always learn something by talking to someone else about what they've done. So I'm, I'm very interested in, and often I'll tell you, the things I'm most fascinated on is what people, something didn't work, right? I, the things that worked, they'll be written up and we'll learn about those, but I'm fascinated by the things that didn't work that people were passionate about because there's probably a nugget of something in there that we can reuse or really think about. So. If you've got a story to share with me about something you were passionate about that you couldn't get done, I love to hear about that because uh, you know that those things are, are fascinating to me to learn how to do it better the next time. David, as always, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for being on the podcast today. And I look forward to speaking to you a lot in the future. Yeah, thanks, Jay. I had a great time. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to Tell Me Where It Hurts. Tune in to Healthcare Now Radio and Podcast Network each month for the latest episode. To learn more about Medicomp Systems, visit our website at www.medicomp.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at MedicompSys or myself at MedicompDoc, or check out the show notes for links. See you next time.